Welcome back to The South Stands, everybody. I'm your host, Zach Moore, dialing in from San Francisco. And today, I'm very happy to be joined by, from the Mountain Time Zone, Paige, and from the Eastern Time Zone, Tim, and our very special guest, Matt. Today, we are recapping Ohio State's resounding 51-10 to win over Indiana in Bloomington. Uh, very impressive. And uh, I'm just going to start by getting some initial impressions from you guys. Matt, why don't we start with you? What did you see yesterday that stood out? Well, you know, you go in these these games, these away games, and uh, at least for me, that I'm always concerned. Uh, teams like Indiana, which last year gave us a really big fight, uh, and wondering how much, how well they're going to come out for the, for the first Big Ten season of the game, and which is, you know, third third game is usually uncharacteristically early, but um, they came out and they beat a middling team as you should beat a middling team. I mean, they have always have when they go to Wisconsin. And Purdue had that problem as well. You know, I would throw the team up north in there, but we don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> um, so, so that they could came, come out and look great on both sides of the ball and just dominate, and it was especially the defense. I was really taken away by how well they kept a team that usually does fairly well with their offense uh, and hold them to ten points. So. Uh, it was just. A, I think that the, you know, there's things that could be definitely worked on, but. They handled their business, and that's what you want. Yeah, very impressive. And Indiana, of course, as you guys all know, is is an opponent that's given us a little bit of trouble the last six to seven years. It's been a it's a it's been a pretty competitive series. Uh, hey, Tim, I wanted to, to wanted to know what did you see yesterday? Well, to that to that point, Zach, I I think that what I wanted to see, <clears throat> and I clearly saw out of the offense was for them to come out and, and establish themselves. You know, Indiana's hung around and made these games four-quarter games, and I really felt like the offense did that. Even though they drove down on the first drive, missed a field goal, you're kind of rolling your eyes saying, Jesus, is this going to happen again? Is this going to be another tight game where Ohio State lets Indiana hang around? Mm-hmm. I felt like the defense three and out, the offense came right back down and scored. Uh, and it was a it was a very good effort by the offense, and I think really from both sides of the line, I think the the offensive line and the defensive mm-hmm. line both clearly established themselves. And just Indiana did not have the athletes to compete at the line, and that opened up a lot of the the rest of the game plan for for Ohio State on offense. And then I felt like the defense really did a good job of shutting Indiana down. They've got a quarterback who's had success against Ohio State in the past. They've got big, rangy, wide receivers. And Ohio State had to make some adjustments. After the first couple of, of series, Indiana started running some crossing routes at the linebacker level, and they were having some success with that. And Ohio State adjusted to that and shut that down. And overall, you know, I've been saying for all of these podcasts, I think the defense is going to end up being a big strength of this team because mm-hmm. it's all about the players have been good and it's been coaching, and I think we've got the right coaching on defense now. And I think you're, you're seeing that in the stats that show up uh, versus the other teams and what they have and haven't been able to do against this defense. Hmm. Good take. Paige, what did you see? So just playing off what Tim just said, they have the right coaching on defense. I mean, at what point is somebody going to go back and you know do a documentary, like Ken Burns' documentary on what the fuck actually <laughs> was the problem with our defense last year? Because if you look at it, they're the same players, right? I mean, yeah. for the most part, they are. Yeah. And, and, and now we just have this suffocating defense that, you know, we expect and we should expect every single year. And it's just, it, I, I shake my head thinking about what the hell actually went wrong. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, 
can Greg Ciano ever get another coaching job in football? <laughs> I mean, if, if people go back and look at how atrocious our defense was and, and then just a, a one-year transition to having the top 20 defense, which I think by the end of the year they'll probably even be better than that, is, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's crazy. The other big thing for me is the offensive line, just dominating. Dominant. Um, yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how many new starters on the offensive line? Four. Three? Three, four. three or four. I think it's four, actually, yeah. 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 So, I mean, so that that goes hand in hand with uh, Dobbins going off, Key going off. There was one play, it was like third and 11. I don't know what quarter, it might have been the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And they just ran Teague pretty much, you know, off the guard. And it's just like, hey, we're playing big boy football. We don't think you can stop it. And by God, they didn't. They just, you know, Teague went for 15. Mm-hmm. I think the offensive line is a huge bright spot for this team. And I think mm-hmm. it just bodes well, you know. Uh, hugely for the future for the for the offense. It, it, my big takeaway is Ohio State is beginning to show the markings of a title contending team. You guys have already mentioned the offensive line. To me, it's starting to look like the O-line circa 2013-2015, where you've got multiple future NFL guys on that line. Uh, from the, right. On the other side of the ball, you've got a defensive line that is elite in both pass rush and run-stuffing ability. We're talking about through three games, 14 sacks, 31 tackles for loss, and uh, only allowing 2.1 yards per carry uh, in the rush game. Uh, and right. and we're, not, we're talking about, you look at the last two weeks, uh, I just went through the stats today. It wasn't as if uh, Indiana and Cincinnati didn't try or that they quit running the football. I mean, Indiana ran it uh, 31 times yesterday for 42 yards. And then last Saturday, Cincy, 34 yards, or sorry, 34 uh, attempts, only 107 yards. And a lot of that, the bulk of that rushing uh, uh, those rushing numbers came at garbage time in the fourth quarter. So it's not as if these teams are giving up early and uh, uh, on the run game. They, they, they continue to pound it, and there's nothing there. The other impression I had was just a, a more balanced offensive attack as compared to last year. You're starting to see a dominant running game and an emerging vertical passing game uh, that, that, that looks pretty scary. Um, and finally, uh, the penalties and turnovers have been virtually non-existent in these through these first exactly. three games. Exactly. Yeah. You, you go mm-hmm. back to 2018. Ohio State ranked 124th nationally in team penalties with uh, 8.3 per game. Through three games this season, they're 28th at 4.7 per game. So uh, clearly, that that was an emphasis in the off-season, uh, eliminating the mistakes. I don't have the turnover totals, but we we know so far that uh, Justin Fields does not have an interception. I think I'm right about that. And, uh, you know, yep. really the only meaningful turnover that we've seen so far this year was in the FAU game early on when, when Dobbins fumbled uh, in the red zone, or sorry, deep, deep in right. Ohio State territory that set up FAU's uh, field goal in that first half. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm seeing the markings of a title contending team starting to show, and that's really exciting. Um, yeah, and you... You know, you talk about the defense. One of the things that we we railed on last year in our little email group was that the uh, linebacker play and uh, Werner and Harrison and those guys have been doing fantastic. Yeah, and I think speaks to that point about the running game being almost non-existent, giving up almost almost nullifying the opposing team's running game. I'm sure we'll get a game where that gets worked a little harder, but it's extremely encouraging, as you say about putting toward a uh, championship team. Like yeah. Every year, they look like a championship team on paper. But, uh, you know, this team looks like they're coming out with uh, more of the focus, which, you know, talks to the, the penalties. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It just seemed like a much more focused team. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, eliminating those—it's a small thing, but eliminating those mistakes. And you know, really, throughout the Meyer regime, these the, his teams were pretty loose and free when it came to turnovers and penalties and even big plays. You go back to even the 2014 season, especially early on in that season, they, you know, they they seemed to Meyer would live with with uh, mistakes you know he seemed to live with he, he, he liked an offense and a defense that created explosive plays even if that meant giving up some and, and also right. even if that meant giving up stupid penalties and so far under the under the day uh, regime we're seeing a team that's much more focused on those details and we're seeing fewer mistakes we'll see as the competition stiffens if they can keep that up but so far it's really encouraging um Hey Zach, the other uh, the other observation I had that I thought was interesting was was with respect to Fields and um, you know afterwards you know he was kind of getting grilled by the press and I won't get on my idiots in the press soapbox but <laughs> um, you. you know everybody was like oh you know your accuracy was off and so many bad passes and what was going on and blah 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 and he handled it really well mm-hmm. but you know what I would say is look he's an 18 year old college quarterback he's going to miss some passes like. Yeah. Of course. Like, uh, that's why I just don't understand the ridiculous questions he was being asked. And he did miss a couple early. Mm-hmm. But, look, 14 for 24, 200 yards and three touchdowns, I'll take that every day of the week. And that's through three but quarters, what by I the also way. Thought, <clears throat> right. And what I also thought was interesting was um, early in the game, before it got out of hand, Indiana was blitzing on every third down and making him roll out and making him make quick decisions and – uh, putting pressure on him, and you know, I'd like to see Justin Fields, you know, make some of these passing errors and be under pressure in a game like this, so that he gets used to it. So when he plays Michigan State and Michigan down the road, he's had some experience doing it. So I, I look at yesterday and Justin Fields and his performance, and as a very good learning experience for him that will pay dividends later in yeah. the year. Yeah. Well, that's true, Tim, but yeah. it's still also a fact that he didn't really have that great of a game. I mean, compared to Cincinnati, where every ball was on the numbers, he wasn't like that. So to ask well, him about it, I don't think is unfair. That being said, I agree with you. Like, the expectation, right, like there was that dumb stat. God, they just come up with the most ridiculous stats these days. But, you know, the highest rated passer when you, like, eliminate two different variables, and he was leading the country in that. Yeah, what of is course that adjusted? He's have a drop off. Yeah, yeah, like that adjusted thing. But like even in the first two quarters, like Alave made a spectacular catch. So did Mac. He was just a teensy bit off. So right. to ask him about it, I don't think is unfair. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say also to, to to Paige's point, it's also. But I would rather them asking about things he could have could be improving on rather than patting him on the back saying mm. another great game there, champ. <laughs> and I understand what you're saying. There's a, there's a much, you know, the thing that Zach's point about the difference between um, Meyer and Day, Day has something to prove. And so there's going to be focus on the details because he wants to make sure this year, because he's, he's going to be proving that he's a legit big-time coach. Uh, so the details on everything is going to be looked under in practice. So I think like even Fields, that rollout, you know, blitzing on third down and his accuracy, you know, he's going to make sure that they're going to be working on that all week, which is a great thing because you don't want complacency is what kills teams in uh, any sort of sports. Yeah. So, eh. Good point. Good points, Matt. Uh, you know, I was just going to say with respect to fields, uh, when I, when I look back on that game, 
what stands out to me about his performance is, is still the, the 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 passes he was able to complete because there were some that were very impressive. He's really good on the run, uh, throwing on the run, and mm-hmm. um, he, he did miss a couple. Um, but uh, but to me, what what I remember most is are the passes that he did complete. There was a sequence in the game that I thought was, and I even texted you guys when this happened. Um, it was after Dobbins' long run that went for, I don't know, 50, 60, 50, 60 yards. Actually, a run that he probably would have scored on had he not changed directions. But on the very next play, um, I think Thayer Mumford made a, a bad read, and he missed the, uh, the end, and the end came free and, and nailed Fields for a five-yard loss, five-yard sack. The very next play, so it made it second and 15. You're Indiana. You're hanging on for dear life. You're trying to, to you know, to, to stem the tide here because you know what's coming. Very next play, Fields rolls out and he throws a BB to uh, Vin Victor for a 20-yard gain and, and a first down. And it set Ohio State up in the red zone and they, they scored shortly thereafter. And I just thought that had to be so demoralizing for Indiana to, you know, you get the big sack, you know, you think you're in position to maybe force a field goal or, or potentially even a punt. And then Fields rolls out away from pressure and he completes that ball to Victor, who, who again was wide open, ran a great route. Um, throws like that, and he had several others. He had several uh, on Ohio State's first drive of the third quarter that were similar to that. Uh, great throws along the sideline with the, the arm, the, sorry, the ball just shot off his arm um, to wide open receivers. That's what I remembered. But, but uh, Matt, to your point, it is good to have some things to work on. And, and uh, you know, Day actually emphasized that in his post game press conference. He mentioned that, that Fields had left some yards on the table. Uh, yards on the field, I think, is, is what is how he expressed it. Um, any other well, thoughts? You know, the other. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Paige. the other thing about Fields is is that I wonder uh, how deliberate it is that they're just not showcasing his running ability at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially right, like right. when he's in the pocket. I mean, he is. He's just sitting back there eating a cheeseburger, and it either it's a deliberate, you know, don't take off, or he's trying to prove something that he can throw. Um, but when they need it, it's just going to add a whole other element to his arsenal. And then good luck, how do you stop that? I well, mean, I have no idea. But yeah. it, it's, it is something that they haven't showcased at all, and we all know it's there. Well, you look at, you look at Ohio State's first touchdown, right? That was on a zone read, if I'm not mistaken, and he walked into the yep. end zone. Um, I, I think right now right. Where, we're, where we're seeing Fields' mobility come into play is keeping plays alive. So he's, he's not crossing the line of scrimmage. He's moving around back there, evading pressure, keeping plays alive. Now, we, I, we haven't seen a ton of big plays out of that, but you can see his ability to keep plays alive when there's pressure. He's really good at that. Really he's good really at that. really instinctual yeah. at it. Th- that's got to give, that's gotta give uh, a, a, you know, defensive coordinators absolute nightmares. Uh, when you have a quarterback thing, you you send pressure, and he, it doesn't really matter. He's able to keep the play alive. Uh, any other thoughts on Fields before we uh, before we move on? Yeah, I, I think this guy is gonna just. I think he's gonna blossom. I don't really even think we've seen the best that he can do. There's a. I think he's gonna be a type of player. I think most talented players are. He's going to get even better. And by the time of the season, if he stays uninjured and, uh, you know, they, they, they keep rolling like they do, I think we're going to see some, 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 something truly remarkable from this kid. He just has the complete package. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, 
But we want to, you know, the mentally tough, mentally tough is still on, is a question mark. I think it, 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 we're showing signs of that. But until we get into a, a real tough fight uh, where we're down and there's time, not a lot of time on the clock and see how he performs, you know, we can't truly answer that until then. But uh, I'm mm-hmm. very encouraged by him. Yeah. Yeah. And you made a, a key point there, Matt, which was uh, if he stays healthy or uninjured. And, and Paige, back to what you were saying, you know, we really haven't seen him, you know, unleashed in the running game, and that and that is intentional, right? I think, I think there is instruction from the coaching staff to be careful and very selective about when he takes off and runs. And so far, you see that he's been very measured, and and uh, in his decision making, and I've been really impressed in that. We talked about this in the last pod, that uh, in terms of his development, decision making, throws from the pocket. Uh, he's he's shown to be a much more complete quarterback and much more developed at this stage than we thought he'd be, and that's that's a really pleasant surprise. Um, I wanted to talk one of the uh, a little bit about the running game because we saw some things in the running game that are very different than than what we've seen under the Meyer regime. Uh, and, and Paige, you made reference to Ohio State running on what would be otherwise, you know, passing downs. Uh, you mentioned the third and eleven uh, play uh, run play by Teague. There were two other plays earlier in the game, third and three, which last year, let's face it, that would have been a running down. And Ohio State brought in two tight ends and ran off the left side behind Mumford, uh, Jonah Jackson, and two tight ends and, and came up, you know, very easily converted the third down. Uh, both on, on both of those plays, you saw Justin Fields under center. There was no fullback, but, you know, you had an extra tight end on that left side. And the push the offensive line was getting, that was big boy football right there. And it was interesting. It, it really was kind of NFL-style, pro-style approach to running the football, which is kind of bucking the trend in college football now, right? You see Ohio State is one of the first teams, I think, that's going back to a pro-style attack in certain situations. I was very mm-hmm. impressed by that, and I also thought it spoke volumes about the development of the offensive line and the level of skill and talent they have that they can just line up and say, we're going to impose our will, and we're going to go get these three yards. I was very impressed by that. And then off of that action, you saw later in the game play action, namely the deep ball to Olave for the touchdown. That was a play action. Uh, Fields was under center. There was a fake to the tailback, and he throws over the top to a wide open uh, Olave. And you heard uh, Joel Klatt on the broadcast go nuts about that, just how Indiana is just, if you're Indiana, you have to feel helpless at that moment because you got it going in the run game, and now there's this play action uh, that, that you just don't know what's coming, and it's been very effective. Anyway, those are my comments on it. Tim, what did right. you see out of that? Um, you know, I really felt like the run game was uh, the story of two two sides working together. The offensive line, as you pointed out, was dominant. And then I thought for the first time in a long time, we saw Dobbins run with authority and run with conviction and look to make a guy miss and then run. Uh, less dancing, l- less sort of juking at the line. Um, he had a really good stiff arm uh, that he had uh, on somebody that led oh, to yeah. a big run. And he just was running tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was making a, the first guy miss or, or shaking the first guy off and then getting to the second level and showing a little bit of speed and and some other things, and that's where I really think J.K. is good, is at the second level when he's in open space, that's when he can juke and make guys miss. Mm-hmm. But I think he's got to get there, but I think he gets mm-hmm. there because of the offensive line. So I really think yesterday's 
300 yards of rushing was really kind of about both. I thought Teague was also awesome. Yeah. Uh, power runner, big guy. Uh, he's going to be great when it's third and two and you need two yards against Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And Teague, master. Yeah, Teague, Teague has a little bit of pop, too. Like, he's got a little bit of acceleration. And do you guys, to me, it seems that uh, Dobbins has a little bit more uh, acceleration this year. He looks a little faster. I know he's a little lighter. Uh, I don't. Mm-hmm. Are you guys seeing that, Paige? What do you think? I'm curious how many yards he would have ran for if he'd played the entire game. Yeah. Like if, 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 if they had just said, "Hey, we're going for the all-time Ohio State record here," <laughs> I mean, could it have been 400 yards? 500. I, I mean, yeah. Th- there was there was no stopping it, um, and so. Uh, the other piece is it, it is uh, you know it's obvious they like Teague. Um, they're giving him some carries that you know maybe we didn't think he was going to get the start of the season. They're both running really well. Somebody uh, gave us some feed or me some feedback, uh, Zach, about our first pod, and like God, you guys are really hard on Dobbins, and yeah, we were. Um, but he's definitely turned the corner. How much mm-hmm. of that is him and attitude, and how much of it is hey, there's big giant holes here being created by the offensive line is. You know, so, like, a little bit of both. You know, yeah, a little bit yeah, of both. Probably. Yeah, but I, wonder, I mean, there's there's yeah. just no question that um, you know he's he's running hard and he's you know he's a stud and Teague is as well. I mean, it, it was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, Matt, what, what did yeah, you I see think, in the running game? Yeah. Well, you know, with Dobbins, really quickly, uh, you know, he the, all the articles I read about Dobbins and how his level of disappointment in his performance last year. It wasn't too surprising for me that he, on his first game, he didn't do that well, simply because I think he was, he was thinking instead of playing. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking, like, I gotta, I gotta make a statement. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta. That's a good point. Oh, I, and I think what we saw last night is a guy, well, yesterday, last night, yesterday, is that he is a, is a player who's becoming comfortable what type of runner he is mm-hmm. and what type of player is. And understanding, like, the physical maturity, uh, as well as the intelligence that he's probably gained for the last two years, is really starting to come together to where he can look at it. He understands what his position, what he can do, what he can't do. Like uh, the dancing around, that's not him, right? And he, and so he, I think he's. If he sticks to, like this is who, what kind of type of player I am, and keeps going forward like that, I think. Uh, there's no stopping him. Nor and Master T. It's like they can play those two off of each other. And I mean, you can see going back to the days where it's a hundred yards per player. You know, we can two hundred yard players a game mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, it's very. You know. Uh, you know, I will say though, back to the feedback you got, uh, Paige, from one of our listeners about uh, you know about the, the criticism of Dobbins. We were taking our cues from Ryan Day. Uh, because Day was, uh, he stopped short of naming Dobbins specifically, but uh, he was very critical of the running game. The offensive line graded out all his champions. He had nothing but good things to say about Master Teague. But then when asked about the running game in general, he said, we need to do a better job of finding holes and running through contact. Well, you just look at the box score. Who had most of the carries in that game? I mean, who who would he have been referring to there? It was clearly... It was clearly Dobbins. I mean, I think he stopped short of naming him specifically, but I think he clearly called out and identified Dobbins. And he responded to that, to his credit. And uh, it's really nice to see, because I think he's a really nice kid. And he's, uh, you know, clearly has worked his butt off. I think he's down to like 
three or four percent body fat or something like that. He he's clearly worked on his game, and and you've seen it, right? Fifty six yard run yesterday, one hundred ninety three yards and twenty two carries. That's in three quarters of action. Page to your point, he could have very well. Does, does Eddie George, by the way, still hold the single game rushing record? I think he might. He would have shattered that uh, had he played four quarters. Um, so. Uh, Anyway, it was nice to see. And then he, he had the big 60-yarder uh, last week at Cincy. Um, so it's great to see the running game emerging. Uh, you have to be able to run the football to be a playoff-level team. And so far, we're, we're seeing that through the last couple of games. Um, you know, like we did in last week's pod, guys, I want to get from each of you. I, I'd like each of you to identify a player. This is outside of the obvious performers yesterday. So we're going to take, we're going to take Chase Young out of the discussion for a moment, J.K. Dobbins, some of the other obvious guys. I want each of you to identify a player on either side of the ball uh, that you thought uh, really stood out, but may not be the obvious choice. Matt, let's start with you. Who would you identify? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, one that I'm woefully underprepared for, but let me give it a try. Um, uh, I would, you know what? I'm going to go back to my. I'm going to be real lazy and go back to my original. One of the things I said about earlier about the linebacker play. I'm going to say uh, Werner did a really good job yesterday. He did. Um, I don't know what his ended up tackles were as compared to everyone else, but he seemed to have a lot of them and was. Uh, you know, again, I when I see the linebacker play go up, that's the thing. Because last year, I remember just that hurt my eyes until we played the team up north. It just I could not watch it. And you they and me both. Seem so wo- <laughs> they seem woefully. They just seem so slow, and uh, it, it, it's just like it was almost like watching Techno Bowl of like inferior <laughs> players. So he he's a bright. You know, I thought I would be talking more about Borland and stuff, but yeah, Werner is uh, is the guy that I'm like watching and going, okay, you're making me take, eat my words for last year, and you know, I'm happy about that. That's a good choice, Matt. Let me just back you up on what you've said here. So Werner led; well, he was a second on, second on the team in tackles yesterday. He had five solo tackles, two tackles for loss, and he was in position on several of those screens or short plays to make a tackle. He actually made a huge stop on Indiana's running back on third and short to force a punt. Looked like a bit of a broken play, but he was right there to make the tackle. And and we were talking about Brendan White in the last pod, and mm-hmm. we thought he would factor in big on this defense this year. He had a great finish to last year. He really solidified the back of that defense last year. Um, was the Rose Bowl defensive MVP. And he's barely... He's barely uh, made an impression this year. We haven't seen a ton of him. And one of the big reasons for that is, I think, the improved play of Pete Werner. Because White stood to take snaps away from Warner. And, right. and to Warner's credit, to, to Warner's credit, uh, he's held off White. And, and he's seen the lion's right. share of the snaps. And he's played very well. He's, he's earned those snaps. Um, hey, Tim, let me kick it over to you. Who would you identify as kind of one of those under-the-radar performers from yesterday's game? So, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to give you one on offense and one on defense, and maybe the one sure. on offense doesn't count because it's not particularly um, uh, somebody who's not uh, under the radar. But how can you how, how can you just not be so impressed with Chris Olave? Oh. I mean, the the game he had receiving another block punt. He's a. Right. I, I watched again a post game interview with him. He's a humble, hardworking kid mm-hmm. that came out of nowhere last year and has just. Uh, freshman, I mean, yeah. Make it, yeah, freshman last year. You could make an argument he's been the best player on the team for the last 
you know, half a season. And isn't and he, isn't he one of the gunners on the punt team as well? I just adding to your correct. point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something on the punt yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I, I, I just am so impressed with this kid that was a three-star recruit and out of California, goes to Ohio State, not a lot of fanfare, and just comes in and works his ass off and becomes one of the best players on the team. So I, I just continue to be so impressed with him, and he's just such a great receiver. He uses his hands. He gets separation. He runs great routes. He just does everything well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's gonna. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar. On the defense, uh, I, I'm going to go with um, – uh, Zach Harrison, true freshman, comes in, two tackles, yeah. a sack, a tackle for a right. loss. You know, it was garbage time, but whatever. Uh, he's your next Chase Young. He's your next Joey Bosa. Uh-huh. He's the kid who's coming up, and he's going to be he's going to be a superstar. Well, that was exciting to see. Yeah, good, nice ones. Paige, what do you think? Who did you see that stood out aside from the obvious? Well. Uh- yeah, un- unlike Sloan being woefully unprepared, Gallagher took my fucking guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which one? Alave. Yeah. It, it, it's Alave, and the thing about Alave, um, you know, he, he's on defense. He's not from Ohio, but I just he reminds me of Darren Lee. And Zach, you and I talked about this yesterday, yeah. right? He's a three-star guy, sort of unheralded. I think Darren Lee actually played quarterback. He you did. Know, but quietly comes in yep. and just is, is an impactful player all over the field. I mean, mm-hmm. he blocked that punt. He blocked a punt against um, Michigan. And, you know, he's one of our go-to guys on the receiving core. And he's just I, – I just love that story, right? I mean, Garrett Wilson's great, man. I want the five-star kids as well. But the kids that come in – that you're like, oh, yeah, he's just a throw-in in the class, and then they just burst onto the scene with this superstardom. It's freaking awesome. I just love that guy. So he, he's, he's my uh, whatever. If this is the player of the game segment, that would be my player. Yeah, you know, if, if the Honey Badger were an offensive player, he'd be Chris Olave, right? I mean, yeah. if you look at where they deploy him all Definitely over the place, better. special teams and, and, you know, on offense – Hey, if they had to put him in a defensive back, like a la Chris Gamble back in 2002, you kind of think he'd he'd figure uh, it out yeah. and make an, he'd make an impact on that side of the ball too. Yeah, he's a football player, man. And I love, as Paige, as you said, he comes in as a three-star and uh, he goes through that crucible of, of uh, training through training camp and, and the, comp- uh, the level of competition that they have there and emerges, you know, this really great player. So uh, I love that pick. I'm going to go with Damon Arnett. I don't know about you guys, but when you hear the words Chris Gamble, do you bow slightly? I, <laughs> I, I, just, I, do, I, do that out of, I do that out of reflex because there's no way we would have won that championship without oh. that adjustment or that player. Oh, God, yeah. I genuflect uh, at, at, the, at the mere mention of his name. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go with my, my player of the game. and I suppose it wasn't necessarily an underrated, uh, under-the-radar performance, but it's Damon Arnett. And I, this is a kid that I had identified before the season as someone I thought that would, that would actually really benefit from the coaching change. Uh, having Jeff Halfley in there, uh, I thought Arnett really suffered more than anybody in the secondary from the departure of Kerry Coombs. The, the first couple of years that Coombs, uh, that Arnett was there under Coombs, he was, uh, he was an emerging star. And we're talking about a kid back in 2016 that was a part of a corner rotation that had three future NFL first-round draft picks uh, at corner. And, and Arnett was good enough to play with all those guys. You know, we're talking uh, Ward, Conley, and uh, Marshawn Lattimore, and the fourth guy was Arnett. And at the time, Combs said Arnett, he considered all four of those guys interchangeable. 
And then he struggled as he did right, last right. year. And he was a he, let's face it, Arnett was one of the whipping boys on the defensive side of the ball, along with Tough Borland. And I think in some cases, unfairly so, he was clearly not getting the coaching that he needed. And a great story, right? He was uh, he was on his way to the NFL after the Rose Bowl. Uh, he actually sat down and talked with Chris Carter, and Carter told him, "You're not you're not there yet. You need to come back." Carter talks him into coming back. He re- rededicates himself uh, to the game. Uh, you know, obviously, Halfley was a big part of of convincing Arnett to come back. And look at him yesterday, uh, Arnett with a big pick six, 96 yards. I think that was the fifth longest pick six in Ohio State history. And I thought, what a great moment, you know. He almost kind of took his time to enjoy that saunter down the sidelines, down the field for a touchdown. And it really did kind of seem like a bit of a victory parade for him. And, and he's been really good. He's been very good this year outside of that moment. I, th- I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know he was, he was credited with several other pass breakups. Um, so, so kudos to Arnett for really turning things around. And um, he's, my, he's my top performer. That's um, um, any other uh, well, and the, any other guys yeah, we want to mention is, here? I, I I think I think we can't go through a whole season though, Zach, just by saying uh, eliminate the obvious of Chase Young because oh, right. the, the guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, yep. it's it's a beautiful thing to watch, and you know, I mean, is he as good or Bosa or either the Bosa's? I, I think he might be, which is you know just ridiculous to say. But that dude just wreaks havoc. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're still banged up on the defensive line. Like, we're yeah. not even seeing how good they could potentially be. I, right. I thought that I heard that Smith got hurt, so I don't know if there's an update on his injury. But the fact of the matter is that we're only scratching the surface on what that defensive line can be. Mm-hmm. And that, it is just elite the sky's the, the limit board. yeah sky's the limit does anybody yeah. have any intel yep. on tyreek smith is it, I, I know he was in street clothes in the second half does anybody know does anything come out around that i know they're very cloak and dagger about injuries but i i had read that um you know before the season started he was he had um he has groin surgery i think in the off season mm-hmm. and was taking longer to rehab and my guess is I don't think he re-aggravated it, but they're probably being overly careful with it because he did. I think he did play the whole first half. He started and played the whole first half, and I just think they made the decision that you're good, no reason to push it. Uh, there's probably still some recovery going on. Is kind of the way I read the article. Okay, got it. Um, what did you guys think of the overall play of the secondary yesterday, and then kind of in general? Uh, to me, it looked like we saw more guys in position to knock down footballs. You saw guys able to recover after getting beat, as Sean Wade was uh, on, a, on a play. The ball was a little bit underthrown, but he was able to recover, and I think the ball hit him in the back of the helmet. But it was a very clean play. Uh, Indiana was complaining. They thought it was pass interference, but Joel Klatt said on the, on the broadcast it was a very clean play. They had nothing to complain about. And there were several other moments where I thought maybe last year those are – you know, those are completions, uh, for, in, in some cases for big plays. What do you guys see out of the the secondary this year that's that's different from last year? Matt, do you have any comments on that? I, you know what, I just, I mean, I, I'm going to go with a very general, conver- general point, and I'm sure Tim and Paige will fill in the details and actually uh, justify it. But I think it's just a better coaching. I think that they're... Uh, Meyer, to a large extent, uh, it, the team that they had is leading their 
their um, defense was just not very strong. Outside Larry Johnson, they were just a team that wasn't very wasn't very good molding the clay. And then most concerning, wasn't very good at making adjustments both during the game and after the game. Mm-hmm. So what I'm seeing right now with the team is that they they know what their talent is. They know what is going to be the best kind of schemes or defensive formations that's going to make the the most sense for them. And they're they're executing. Most importantly, they're executing, and the results are very clear. Well, we haven't played three great offensive teams, but they're not bad offensive teams and actually more notable for their offense. So uh, that they came out with that focus and uh, execution, uh, you know, it, it just seems like, again, across the board, much more focused, but especially on the defense, I see it there. Got it. Tim, what did you see out of the secondary yesterday? I think what I'm seeing most of all is just is just experience, is just being a veteran. Mm-hmm. When you think about the combination of Fuller, Arnett, Wade, and Okuda, what you've got is you've got guys that have been on the team now for multiple years. You've got, a, to Matt's point, you've got a coach that's got their back in Halfley, and you've got schemes that are allowing them to play freer and think less and you know, as we've all been, as we've all said, we, you know, you've got these guys now learning to turn around and look for the football, yeah. uh, whereas they just weren't doing that in previous years. And I and I think it's all just paying dividends. But if I had to put my finger on sort of one thing, is I, I think you you don't have a lot of inexperience back there. You've got a lot of experience, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's a good point. Really, point. what's making the difference in that defensive backfield? Okay, Paige, what what are you seeing? from the secondary this year that that's different from last season i see four nfl players mm. I mean, <laughs> that helps yeah, yeah. i mean um, fuck again you know so so like matt said and tim said experience in coaching well, what the hell i mean this is you know these guys are all going to play on sundays I mean, yeah. we should expect this and so they're playing to their potential um, you know, they're probably getting more confident as they go. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of football that we should expect to see when you have that caliber of player on the field. And, you know, Zach, one of the things you and I talked about, you know, the guy that's, you know, lurking in the background, uh, Proctor. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. how... Like, there's just not enough snaps to go around. We just have athletes and studs. Yeah. And not just in the secondary, but, you know, all, all around the whole team, the defense. But that's really what I'm seeing. And these guys playing up to their potential. Yeah. I'm looking at the stats right now on uh, ESPN.com. It, to me, it looks like this number might be a little off. But uh, the defense was credited with six pass breakups. Strangely, Arnett was not credited with one. There's no way that's right because... He had one in the end zone where he ripped the ball out of the uh, out of the receiver's hands. Uh, so I know he was he was credited with at least one pass break, and of course there was the the interception. So easily seven pass breakups. Proctor dropped two interceptions. Um, I, I saw yeah. two plays, one by Proctor, and and then one also by Fuller, uh, where they broke on the football. And uh, the first one by Fuller, I think Arnett was actually flagged. Uh, for a pass interference or a hold, and uh, but but Fuller was breaking on the football and nearly picked it off and went the other way. Proctor had one later in the game as well. Same deal. He dropped the ball, but he broke on the football. He knew where it was going. So to me, that shows 
Uh, and also, if you're looking at where the corners were on some of these long pass plays, they were in position to knock it down. In some cases, there was help. There was a deep ball that Okuda, both Okuda uh, and Arnett made a play on to knock away. These guys are in position. They know where they need to be. Uh, they know where the ball, the plays are going. And I think that definitely comes down to coaching and, to your point, Tim, experience. Uh, and, and, and Paige, as you've said, this is what we should expect at Ohio State, especially with the way they've recruited. You've got NFL players back there, and they're finally starting to look like future NFL players in the secondary. I'm still waiting for that watershed moment, by the way, in terms of turnovers for this defense, uh, because it, we saw another game again here where I think Indiana had two fumbles we were unable to fall on, several dropped interceptions, um, and that just has gone along with, with how the season has gone. Uh, they're forcing loose balls. They're getting their hands on balls in the secondary. And one of these games, I'm telling you, man, it's coming. A, a five or six turnover game for that defense. Right. They're, they're getting That's close. Possible, yeah. yeah. Well, Zach, and, and another thing that, about the secondary is the game gets a lot easier when you can't fucking rush the ball, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so kudos <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the defensive line. I mean, um, Indiana had, I wrote this down, 42 yards rushing, and I don't even know how they got that because I can't honestly remember any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Cincinnati, uh, pretty much the same thing for FAU. And when right. you have a defensive line that is just shutting down the run and being able to get just tremendous pressure without actually having to blitz a whole lot, makes mm-hmm. the, you know, the secondary job yeah. all the easier. Yeah, 42 yards, 42 yards uh, of that 42-yard rushing total yesterday, 20 of it came on a scramble by Ramsey. Right. Wow. <laughs> uh, Matt, you were going to say something? Well, Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, you know, the old, uh, the old uh, Woody Chestnut, there's three things that could happen when you pass and two of them are bad. <laughs> if, you stop the, if, you stop, if you stop the running game and with these quarterbacks, it's just going to open up a much more opportunity. So what you said, Zach, like you could seriously go for five, uh, five. You know, we could go for some really big uh, scores on the just from the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy how well they're doing stopping the run. Paige, I wanted to go back real quick to Proctor uh, because we were talking about him yesterday after the game, and um, you know I, that that's one player I I, I think the whole fan base is, is eagerly anticipating his day. Um, but we were talking about how he just has, and I and I was going, I was at the game last week, the Cincy game last week, and I was following Proctor around on the field, and he has this, as I mentioned in last week's podcast, he's got a, an interesting physique for a guy playing his position. Um, he has a, a corner body, like a cornerback's physique, I think. He's tall, a taller for a safety than what I think what you would normally see, but he's got that fast twitch, quick twitch type. Uh, athleticism that you would see in a corner or a wide receiver. He's got long arms. He's lanky, wiry, strong, and uh, I I cannot wait to see him him play. And and I think that they're going to have to give him snaps this year. They have to continue to give him snaps because I think he gives them an opportunity to make plays in that secondary that where maybe Fuller doesn't. Fuller's a good, solid player, and obviously he's not. Gonna, he has no. You know, he has nothing to worry about losing his job, uh, but when we're talking about playmaking ability, a difference maker, uh, Proctor looks like that guy. And this is a big comparison and probably an unfair comparison at this stage. But to me, he looks like an Ed Reed type 
because I, I can't think of another player like him uh, that's played at Ohio State. Ed Reed is the player that comes to mind when I just look at his athleticism. Um, Paige, right? We, I, we kind of agreed on that, right? Yeah, I mean he's he's gonna he's gonna make some plays. He just has an instinct for the ball, Malik Hooker esque. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, going back to Malik Hooker, um, I, I'm sure you guys all saw that interception he had. Uh, against Philip Rivers, which was just insane. <laughs> yeah, um, one hand. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just insane. But it reminded me of you know that year, and I don't know exactly what year it was with Malik Cooker, but um, he would just change the complexion of a game just coming out of nowhere and snatching an interception. Mm-hmm. And you know th- that type of like momentum shift is just gigantic, and it kind of feels like Proctor has that type of ability. So. He's got to, you know, see more snaps as it goes. But then again, who's he going to take them from? You know, maybe he's taking some from White. Um, but, you know, I mean, you got Wade back there. Fuller's, like you said, Zach, he's not in any jeopardy of losing any playing time. Yeah. Uh, but it just kind of feels like as we go along, he's going to be an impactful player. Well, he has played meaningful snaps the last couple of games. And and maybe it's just, hey, let's give let's give Fuller a blow. And, and you know, let's keep him fresh. And I think we're going to continue to see that going forward. I do. I think I think Day probably likes his depth at that position, and why not use it, even if it's just a few snaps to give Fuller a blow. Um, do you guys have any other observations from yesterday that we haven't covered yet? Anybody want to mention something that we've we haven't yet hit? Yeah, I've got one, Zach. Sure, go um, ahead, Tim. I watched a really interesting interview after the game with Kevin Wilson. And obviously he's the ex-head coach of Indiana, but the interview really wasn't about that. Uh, One of the reporters had asked him about play calling and how's play calling work and how's it going and you're now the offensive coordinator, but Ryan Day calls the game and that whole dynamic. And and he went into a a pretty long explanation of it that I thought was fascinating, which is he described the process during the week where they get in the room and it's Heartline and it's – uh, Tony Alford and it's Yursich and it's Wilson and it's Day and it's this big open conversation and if people aren't contributing, Day will call them out be like, hey, I want to hear from you, what do you think? Wow. And he, so he said there will be things like, they'll come up with certain plays during the week that you know, on third down, what are the first three third down plays you want to run? And so they'll describe some of it oh, before, wow. but then during the game, um, there's a three-way conversation going on between Day, Wilson, and Yursich where Day will be like, okay, next series, uh, give me a couple good run plays. Let me know what you guys think. Send them down, and I'll, you know, I'll say yes or no. Or I want, I want a couple more pass plays. Or it's time to throw a bomb. Give me a bomb play. And so, really, the point of what Wilson was trying to say was, Day is creating a culture of inclusiveness and collectivism where everybody feels bought into the process. And Wilson right. seemed really happy with the latitude he was getting and. Uh, his ability to have influence on play calling. And it's not just, you know, Ryan Day dictatorship. It's all of these guys collectively deciding the game plan. And, yeah, ultimately Ryan Day has got the last say of what play goes in. But it sounds like he's including the coaches. And I think it's more of a, uh, it's more of a credit to Day and the culture that I yeah. think he's building both with the coaches and with the players. And I think we're starting to see some of that on the field. Wow. Yeah, the yeah, that mindfulness is, comes out, it like came out preseason, how he talked about 
uh, you know, relating to his players and keeping the door open, having a couch in there for them yeah. to hang out. Mm. It's like all those things, all those, like, I don't want to get into a side non-football conversation, but it's like people want to feel valued and they want to be challenged. Is that, that is a way to, only your thinking will get better the more you're challenged about it. And that's only going to make the play calling and the relationships between players and coaches and coaches and coaches uh, stronger. That's a great, that, th- those are great points. And Tim, I just, to go back to what you had said, it's a delicate balance, right, be- between having uh, all those contributions, making feel everybody's contributions are, are, are considered and included, uh, but avoiding that too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, uh, uh, conundrum, especially when it comes to play calling. And so far, they pulled it off. Uh, I had not heard that interview. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to have to find that and listen to it. I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, the co-coordinator thing is a bad idea, right? And I think what Day's doing is saying, hey, give me your input, but make no mistake, I'm going to make the final decision here. So it can work, right? Right. I don't know that it worked last year, no. right? I mean, or you know, at times when it just seemed like, okay, so you got Meyer, Day, and Urban, um, and Urban wasn't calling the plays, if I'm not mistaken. And so to your point, Zach, it is a very delicate balance, but clearly uh, it's working. And kudos today for, you know, putting it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else we want to cover, guys? I, you know, actually, I thought I'd make one comment, just kind of generally speaking. It was a lousy slate of games for the most part yesterday. And the Big Ten, yeah. P.U. I mean, I, we, we've got this stretch coming up, starting with uh, the the visit to Nebraska. Um, that that slate includes, and I don't have the schedule here in front of me, but uh, that gauntlet also includes uh, home games against Michigan State, Wisconsin, then another road game against Northwestern. I don't know. I at the beginning of the season, I looked at that gauntlet and I was concerned, and I am far less concerned now, having watched through three weeks what the rest of the Big Ten looks like. Um, how about Michigan State? What do they score? Seven points at home and a loss to Arizona State? <laughs> yeah. I, think it was your, I think it was your boy, uh, Jay Book, Zach, had a funny tweet. Like, why do both Michigan schools just insist on running an 80s offense? Like, <laughs> what is it about that? I mean, and you know what? If you're a Michigan State fan and to a degree a Michigan fan, like, you got to be pissed at this point. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You can only score seven points against ASU? Like, that's just pathetic, D'Antoni. At, at home. At home. Well, you got to be better. Yeah. You've got to be better. Yeah, you can't just – I mean, clearly they're elite on the defensive side. But, you know, with respect to Michigan State, I kind of feel like D'Antonio caught lightning in a bottle there from a recruiting standpoint between 2011 and 2015, right? And we remember the players, the Connor Cooks, the Shalee Calhouns, guys like that. But I don't think they're recruiting at the same level. I, you know, he's clearly able to, to architect right, an elite yeah. defense, but I don't see that same level of, of, of talent on the offensive side. And now they're starting to look like the Michigan State that uh, maybe earlier in D'Antonio's career when Trestle was still around, where they were better, but when, you know, when they matched up with Ohio State, it, it wasn't much of a game. And, and it looks like maybe that's kind of where the program is right now. Um, well... And, uh, yeah, that's a great point. And, I, you know, also it's like they have two coaches who are locked in their ways. They, you could say that what we have an advantage of with Day is you have a more evolved coach. You don't have a coach who's just sitting in like this is the way I run a program, this is the way I run my plays. 
this is the way I do stuff, and this is the way it's going to be. Um, and so when you have teams, te- when you're playing teams or whatnot that are or more open to things and are trying to explore what the potential is with the players that they have, you know, I just think that Michigan State and, and the team of North are both going to be set for failure because, frankly, I don't, I don't have, if I wouldn't have any faith in their coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both, they're, they're both riding completely on reputation rather than results. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told Tim the other week if we had Archie Griffin as our coach for the last couple of years and they got the results that Harbaugh did, we would toss them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't set for it. I can, <laughs> yes, I con- yes, we would. <laughs> I, I, con- I, I, I con or not. Right. It's just a matter of this is someone who's not getting results. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I will say just kind of on a national, kind of going back to the national landscape, it really does appear that we, and I know we have to wrap things up here, Tim. I know you've got to get going. Um, it appears there are, what, five, four or five, maybe six teams that are clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. And that group would include, obviously, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. And then the rest of the field, uh, the rest of the country, I don't know. We may see teams emerge uh, come October, November. Certainly some of these teams in the Big Ten that I've, uh, you know, we're criticizing right now will probably be much better by the time we play them. But right now you got those top six and everybody else is just kind of wallowing right now in, in, in the mud trying to figure things out. There's a clear separation. Um, guys, any other comments? Do you include LSU, do you include LSU with that group? Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. I missed LSU. I missed LSU. Thank you, Matt. I would definitely include LSU in there. Uh, those would Don't be your top Joey six. Burrow. Joe That's right. Not at all. Not at all. And, and, you know, the way they recruit down there, the way they play defense, you got a good quarterback. Uh, you know, potent passing game is really kind of all us, all LSU has been missing. You know, you you add a, a decent passing game to to the way they play defense down there. They are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, guys, any other comments before we wrap things up? I know we we uh, we got to get some folks out of here. Any any other comments? I think next week could be your uh, could be your defensive four turnover games act against Miami. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I could see that. <laughs> I could see that, and I, I certainly wouldn't expect. <laughs> Uh, you know, unless, of course, they, they pull the starters by the half, which the, with the way that game's looking, we may not see, uh, you know, the, the starters for much more than two quarters. Uh, guys, any other comments before we, uh, before we shut her down? No, I think, uh, I think we covered it. I, I do think we're one of the best teams in the country. I also think let's just hold, you know, slow our roll here. Right, we beat Indiana. Okay, they're in the Big Ten, but we know they're the bottom of the Big Ten. Not, I don't want to end it as a Debbie Downer. But um, <laughs> good point. You know, good point. Uh, you know. Let's, let's beat some of these better teams in the Big Ten, which clearly is not as good as we thought as of last week. Sorry about that, Maryland. But uh, I love this team. Sky's the limit. Um, Really, the only team that should be able to beat Ohio State is Ohio State at this point. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens. I'll end on this. Yep. Uh, I'll end on this because Ohio State had some detractors to start the season. One of them was Joel Klatt, who, who, who had actually picked Michigan to win the Big Ten. He's on record last week, actually on video, saying, I was wrong about Ohio State. And he's actually moved Ohio State ahead of Michigan in his, his power rankings. Uh, a, a, another uh, kind of um, another guy who's reversing his... Uh, his view of Ohio State is our boy Doug Marie. Uh, he says, so far, this team looks more like a 12-0 team than a 9-3 team. And uh, he actually issued kind of a, a, a mea culpa or, you know, of sorts, just saying, hey, you know, the fans saw 
things I I hadn't, and and he's now kind of changing, looking at his uh, outlook on Ohio State much differently. And then our boy Stuart Mandel today on the Athletic, he was another guy who seemed to want to pick anybody else in the Big Ten except Ohio State before the season. He's moved Ohio State up to number two in his power rankings. So in very short order, Ohio State is starting to change opinions. And I think at this stage, the consensus is, hey, look, it's their conference to lose this year. And, let's, and Paige, we got to keep it rolling. You know, don't get cocky. Um, but things are looking good. All right, guys, hey, look, on that, why don't we wrap it up? Tim, I know you got to go. Uh, thanks for your time, boys. And, thanks, uh, Jackie boy. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well done, boys. Yeah, thanks for coming later. on, Matt. We'll bring you back on soon. All right, fellas, we'll talk to you later. All right. Happy, Happy Sunday. Sunday. Happy Sunday, boys. <laughs>